Good morning, everybody. Welcome once again. So glad that you're here. My name is Alan. Before I get started, I want to introduce you to a very special couple in my life. When I was an intern for uh, being a pastor in Fairfax, Virginia, many, many, many years ago, uh, I was I became friends with one of the pastors on staff there at that church, and I became friends with him and his wife and their beautiful little daughter, uh, Jenny. And uh, uh, they are here with us today. So would you please say hello to Steve and Diane Rennick right there. They're right there. Just wave your hand there. They hate that I just did that. But I'm so thankful to them because they, they modeled for me what it means to love your spouse, what it means to enjoy your spouse, which is obviously a very important part of what we do here at Mountain Park and how we want to make a difference here in this part of the world. So uh, uh, welcome. Glad you're here. Love you guys. Uh, when I look at this stage here, this new stage for our new series, um, what, what I think when I look at it is this is what I've always imagined heaven would look like. <laughs> I am a huge fan of Lego. Any big fans of Lego in the room? Okay, not so many uh, here in this service, but uh, it's my favorite toy as a kid when I was growing up, playing with Lego. Absolutely love. That's my favorite toy to, to buy for my kids to uh, purchase for them. We actually have a room in our home that is the Lego room, and it's just for the kids. Uh, And uh, I love to buy Lego sets uh, for the kids instead of giving them a gift where they'll just open it up and, and there's some plastic Star Wars ship that they'll fly around. I love the idea of them having to build a Star Wars ship. It's just way better. It's in a different league. I love that Legos fit together perfectly, unlike Mega Bloks, which is an abomination to the set-building world. But Legos, they just, they're not too tight, not too loose. They just build, they build just right, and you can build anything you want. You are only limited by your imagination. Love Lego. We're starting a new series called How to Build a Life. And so we're looking at what are the pieces that we can gather to assemble to build the life that we want to live. What are the instruction? What's the instruction booklet for us to build this life that we want to live? We believe that the instruction booklet in terms of how to do life is provided for us, protected for us in the form of what we call the Bible, the scriptures, these, this instruction booklet given to us by our creator. And so what we're going to do in this series is we're going to look at a book in the New Testament called Colossians. It was a letter written by Paul, and this letter only has four chapters in it. What we're going to do for the four weeks of this series is we're going to look at one chapter for each week and see what Paul had to say 2,000 years ago about this idea of how can we build our life uh, in a way that has us honoring God and to become the men and women that we would long to be, that we love to be. As Jan had mentioned in the video there, if you have not yet picked up a journal, we invite you to do that. The journal is a way for you to extend the experience beyond Sunday morning so that you can, on a daily basis, be reading through Colossians and that you can be walking this out just by yourself or as a couple or with a group of friends or whatever so that the experience can go beyond Sunday morning. We hope that you'll take advantage of that and pick up one of the journals. As we head into this series, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I'm thankful for this opportunity to set aside time from our week to focus on you, 
There's so many things that consume our mind throughout the day that, that will consume us for the rest of the afternoon, etc. But right now, this time is about you. I know that some of us here, God, we, we sit here in this room and it feels like our life is, is just in pieces. Or maybe there's a part of it that just seems like it's in pieces. God, would you come and give us wisdom from your instruction booklet in terms of how to build the lives that you want us to have. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So today, this week, as we look at Colossians chapter 1, as we get started in this series, the question that I want to ask is, who's in charge? Who is in charge of the building, the construction of the pieces of your life? This is a very important question. This is an effective question to ask who's in charge. If you want to get something done, if you want to be heard, we know that the question to ask is, who's in charge? If you have a complaint with a company or, or you're on the phone and something's going on, then you want to know who's in charge. I want to find out who's in charge so I can talk to somebody else. Or maybe you have a compliment. Something has gone well and you want to make sure that the organization knows that you thought as a customer something went really well. You want to say, I want to talk to the person who is in charge because that's going to take me to where I'm going to want to go. That's what's going to allow us to get something done. Even aliens understand the importance of this question. We all know what the first thing they're going to say when they land. Take me to your leader. Right. And so, they, so even slimy purple blobs understand the importance of this question. Who's in charge? We all know what happens when no one's in charge. We all understand the frustration of realizing you're in a situation, a circumstance where it doesn't seem like anyone is in charge. Maybe you're stuck in a parking lot somewhere and it's jam-packed. It is, a, it is a, uh, some big event and, and every spot in the parking lot is absolutely filled, but no one thought about how every, anyone's going to get out or what the flow's going to be. So it's gridlocked and people are backing up and trying to go this way, trying to go that way. And you're sitting in your car frustrated thinking, who did not think this through? Who's in charge of this parking lot? Or was anybody in charge of this parking lot? It's frustrating when no one's in charge. Or maybe at work, there's a lack of organization. There's a lack of leadership. And so you are faithfully doing your part of the work. You're doing your widget. And you look around and you notice other people don't seem to be working as hard as you. They're just gathering around and have conversations over there. And you're pulling more weight than others. And so it's frustrating. Why would I continue to work as hard as I'm working, et cetera? Because you look around and you just think, who's in charge? Who's managing this? It can be a frustrating situation. Speaking of who's in charge, something really exciting happened to me this week. I, on Wednesday morning, I got a text from the President of the United States. <laughs> I did. I did. I'm serious. It was, it was like a test. And so he was reaching out just to make sure that everything was okay. There must be some security issues because I think he's going to follow up with some kind of request or conversation with me. I'm really excited. I'll let you know how that goes. Certainly, I'll let you know uh, how that all walks itself all out. But I'm talking with the one who's in charge or something kind of, oh my goodness, about, about I'm talking with the one who's in charge as we launch into this series. Just in case somebody looks like they're wondering, I don't think Alan knows that we all got the same test. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Okay, I, I, I get that. So, um, this series will start off with Colossians chapter 1. And, and the question we want to ask as we look into that 
into that uh, chapter is who's in charge? As we're building this life that we want to build and going after this, who is in charge? Imagine that we have gathered here in this room today at 11 o'clock for a motivational seminar. Okay, we've gathered here in this room. You are here. I'm the motivational speaker. I'm not, I'm not Alan. I'm the motivational speaker. This is the title of the motivational seminar. And I'm glad that you're here. And so now I would say, folks, do you want to take charge of your life? To which you'll say, yeah. Okay, because you paid $99 for this thing and you want to get your money's worth out of it. Okay, so do you want to take back your life? All right, okay. Now, is it somebody else's responsibility to take back your life? No, you say. Is it your mama's responsibility? Is it your daddy's responsibility? Is it your spouse's responsibility? No, are you sick and tired of time seeming to be in charge of your life? And you say, yeah, yeah. Are you sick and tired of money being in charge of your life? Are you sick and tired of the expectations of others being in charge of your life? Yes. Yes. So let me ask you a question, folks, who are wise enough to have paid the $99 to come and be a part of this seminar. And you'll be paying more than that in the lobby with books, etc. I will trust me on that one. But let me just ask you the question. Are you ready to be in charge of your life? Who is in charge of your life? You say, I am. Who's in charge of your life? Who's in charge of your life? Good for you. Now, I'm no longer the motivational speaker. I'm back to being Alan. And I would simply say, uh, wrong. Uh, Paul, in the first chapter of Colossians, he offers a radical new way to look at life, a radical new way to build your life, because there's such a natural desire and a leading, leaning to say, I want to take control of my life. I want to be in charge of my life. And Paul, 2,000 years ago, offers a radically different way to look at who's in charge of your life. What I want to look at today is a section from chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. If you brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me or go on an electronic Bible, if you will. But I want to look at this this section, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, which most versions of the Bible, including NIV, which I typically read from, they capture this as prose. They capture this as paragraph form written out, but... It seems likely that this section was actually a poem written by Paul. Paul, this brilliant writer of most of our New Testament, who's writing letters to pastors and churches and encouraging them, and a leader in the, uh, uh, in the, in the early church, it's very possible that he took the time out to write a poem about this whole idea of who's in charge. So I want to take a look at this as a poem in two stanzas. The first stanza is verse 15 through 17, where Paul says this, Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. It's right off the bat saying God is not 
a man. God is not a gender. God is not a person as we would understand God to be. God is, is invisible. And Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is the image, is the picture, is the, is the flesh version of our creator God. And he continues on verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. There's very much a poetic flow to this. And essentially, Paul is saying that Jesus wasn't just created by God. Jesus was the creator. Jesus is the one who created Jesus is the creator. Another poem that we find in the New Testament, the beginning of, of the book of John, he famously says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning through him. All things were made without him. Nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the creator. I like that section there. He says, all things have been created through him and for him. So it's not just that Jesus was the creator, but he was the goal of creation. Jesus was the goal of the whole thing. This whole human story, the whole story of human existence from the very beginning to the very end, this whole reality of us even living on this planet is a story that is all about Jesus. This whole story is all about Jesus. Jesus is not an afterthought to the story. It's not that God was walking out a journey in the Old Testament, things didn't go well, and so then God wanted to have a backup plan. That's not what it was. Jesus isn't the backup plan. Jesus is the plan, that all things were created through him and for him. And then he continues, verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together which I think is an obvious reference to Lego. Right there, all things are fitted together. All things hold together. Essentially, what Paul is saying in the, in the first stanza of this two-stanza poem is that Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the creator. And then he moves on in verse 18, the second stanza here in this poem. And he says, And he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He is the head of the body. The head is in charge. The head is in charge of the body. We can look at other body parts. We can look at, uh, you could look at a picture of a foot or a leg or an arm or a shoulder, and you might be able to figure out who that is. You, you might even be fooled on, I think that's my spouse's foot. You might even be fooled on that because we can't, differentiate ourselves, you know, all that much from, can you identify your spouse's bare foot in a, li in a list of a hundred bare feet? I mean, well, you know, maybe, but the face, the face with its microscopic differences, that differentiates you from 7.7 .7 billion other people. That the face, the head, is so much, it's the thing we look at, it's the thing we talk to. We spend a lot of money uh, improving our bodies and working out and fixing this and tucking this and whatever. 
but it's our face, it's our head that we spend most time and most money on. Our hair, our face, our skin, our eyes, our teeth, etc. It's, it's this face here. The, the face, the head, is the unique part of who you are. It's, it represents who you are. It is in charge of the body. The head decides whether my arms are going to move, and they move a lot. I know that. My head has decided that my, my arms are supposed to move a lot. Paul says that Jesus is the head of the body. He's in the, the prominent spot. Jesus is in charge. And it's even more clear in the words that follow. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. You might be familiar with other versions that say he might be preeminent, that Jesus is the supreme ruler of the universe. How's that? He's the ruler, supreme ruler of the universe. He is, he is in charge of the kingdom of God that is coming now and will ultimately come in the future. He's in charge of this army that we call the church, this army that's a part of this kingdom. Jesus is in charge. He is the head of the church. But the radical idea is, will we allow that Jesus to be in charge of your life? See, here's where free will jumps in. We get to decide, am I going to allow Jesus to be in charge of my life? Jesus to be the head, not just of the universe or the kingdom or the church, but is, am I going to allow Jesus to be in charge of my life, my tomorrow? Paul continues, for God was pleased to have all his, fulfill, his fullness dwell in him, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, which is the ultimate story of how Jesus made all of this happen. One could summarize this poem by saying in the first stanza, Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the creator. All things have been created through him and for him. And in the second stanza, Colossians 18 through 20, one might say that the point is there, Jesus is in charge so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is in charge. It's a remarkable poem that actually could represent all of Scripture. It could represent the whole story, that the Old Testament is represented by Jesus is the creator, set things in motion, and set up the circumstances so that a Messiah could come. And then in, this, in the New Testament, the second half of the story is that Jesus comes as the Redeemer, the one who is in charge, the one who comes and reclaims what has been taken. And so this one poem, Jesus is the Creator, Jesus is, the redeem, is, is, the, uh, is in charge, this one poem kind of captures the whole story and again, Paul's remarkable request, his remarkable comment through this chapter is to say, is Jesus in charge of your life, in charge of every aspect of your life? Now, maybe another way to look at these verses here, this poem here in Colossians chapter 1, is to use 
more current language around leadership. That we refer to leaders like some of our most famous leaders, like Steve Jobs, who of course is no longer with us, but certainly has been influential in our culture. Bill Gates and Oprah Winfrey and Martha Stewart, to name four. All four of those very famous known leaders are known as founder CEOs. We know what that means, that they, they founded their organization, their company, and they were in charge of their organization and company. The most famous and successful leaders in our culture are founder CEOs. Paul is essentially saying here in this poem that Jesus is the founder and CEO of the universe. Jesus is a creator. He's the founder of the whole organization. He's the CEO. He's in charge of the whole organization, of the whole thing. Jesus is the founder CEO of the universe. That's quite a title, isn't it? Do you see him that way when you worship, when you read, when you think about the name Jesus? Do you see him as that? And how well do you think he's doing as the founder CEO of the organization? Imagine a founder CEO who is poor. And and I mean truly poor. Not just drives an old truck but has $10 million in the bank. I mean truly poor. Has not taken anything from the company, from the employees, from the customers. Has taken nothing from no one. Imagine a founder CEO who is incredibly passionate about the mission of the organization. So passionate, so focused about an organization whose mission, the church, is to be a revolution of love, to change the world. So passionate about this, about this organization and its purpose and why it's here, why the army is here to, to uh, make movements here in cities and countries and around the world. So passionate about that that he would do anything. And he's so passionate about it, he would get upset sometimes. Upset not with people uh, who were imperfect, but with people who were trying to take charge. People who were saying, no, I think it, should be, it would be better if it was done this way or done that way, or I don't think that's right. I don't think you should be the founder CEO. Those are the people he would get upset with and say, no. He says, I'm in charge here. And he would get passionately upset sometimes. Imagine a founder CEO who who serves his executives, who literally would wash their feet. Imagine a founder CEO who's so passionate about the organization and its purpose that he would give his life, give his life for that purpose. Would you be interested in being a part of an organization like that? Would you be interested in following a founder CEO like that? We all get to decide who's in charge of our lives. Imagine that this chair represents the, th- the throne of your life and whatever or whoever sits on this chair is in charge of your life, okay? So imagine this chair represents whatever, whoever is in that chair is in charge of your life. If that's the case, then you and I, we have three options with this throne. Option number one 
is that something or someone is sitting on that throne. And uh, perhaps this is a person. This could be your parents. It could be your boss. It could be your spouse. Someone that you have essentially allowed to be in charge of your life. They dictate what you do, how you think, what's going on. Now, it's interesting with kids, uh, parents actually are in charge of their life up to, a, up to a point. But then we get older and we have to make that, that, that break from parents are being in charge to what else or who else is going to be in charge of my life as an adult? What's that going to look like? And so most of us here are adults in this room. Is there a person who is in charge of your life in some way? Or maybe it's not a person, maybe it's a thing, it's an item, it's a goal, it's an accomplishment that we say, unless I get it or do it, I don't see myself having any purpose in life. That, that unless I make this happen, unless I, this is my focus, this is in charge of my life, and unless this doesn't happen, I've wasted my life. I think most of us would agree here that when we say it that way, when we look at it that way, this is dangerously unhealthy, terribly unhealthy. Even a $99 motivational speaker would say, this is not the way to go. And a motivational speaker would say, don't let this be in charge of your life. The motivational speaker would say, option number two is, you take charge of your life. You sit on the throne of your life. You take charge of your life. Now, it could be that you are sitting on the throne, you are in charge of your life, and you would not call yourself a follower of Jesus. And what I mean by that is, is you're interested in Jesus That's because you're here, and you've heard stories, and there's something fascinating about this Jesus character, but Jesus is not, is not, is kind of part of your life, but but not really a threat to the, to the throne whatsoever. But here's the interesting thing. It's possible to be on the throne of your life and consider yourself a follower of Jesus. In other words, Jesus is very important to you. Je- Jesus is, you are a follower of Christ, and Jesus is important to you. And in some parts of your life, you go to Jesus first, and you've been trained to do that, especially when things go poorly and you, or you need something or there's a healing that is needed. There's something going on in your life and you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to Jesus about this. This Jesus is absolutely going to be a part of my life for that, for that thing. But then there are other parts of your life where you're more comfortable being in charge than, than Jesus. There are other parts of your life where you say, you know what, I got this one. Maybe there are even parts of your life where you say, you know I know what you'd say about this, but I, I, I just want to do it anyway. And so we sit on the throne and we say, I'd rather you not be a part of this part of my life, Jesus. So whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's possible to sit on the throne of your life. And if you identify with this option number two, then, then a question I would ask you is how, is, how is it working out for you? This is just a very relevant question that, that I would ask myself when, when I tend to take charge in my own life. How is, that work, how is it working out for you to, to stay focused and have purpose in your life and to deal with the uh, temptations 
and the, the particular triggers for you? How is it working out for you to remain in control? Last week, last month, the past six months. Because there's a third option, of course. The third option is to say, Jesus, you're not just part of my life. You're sitting on the throne of my life. This is, what, this is what Paul is talking about when he says, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. It's, it's not just part of my life, not just I invite him in in some places, but that he might have the supremacy, meaning any moment in my life where, where there's a what should I do, and we have these every week, if not every day, there's some kind of experience where we just say, what should I do in this moment? And you've had one this past week. Which pathway should I go? And if, if you and I are in charge, then we just say, hmm, what should I do? But if Jesus is sitting in that spot, then we just say, we look at that should, and we just say, Lord, lead me. Lord, lead me. Should, should I be reading that book or not? Should I be watching that movie or not, or that TV series or that some kind of form of entertainment. Lord, lead me. I don't always make the best decisions for myself when I'm trying to build the life that I want to live. So, Lord, would you lead this part of my life? Maybe it's a, a should in terms of some kind of endeavor that you want to be a part of, and you're considering putting a lot of time and money into some kind of commitment Maybe it's, a, it's an athletic commitment to say, I'm, I'm going to commit a year to this or I'm going to commit six months to this thing at work or whatever. And you're looking at some kind of major commitment. It's going to have an impact on your life. And so we say, Lord, lead me. Or maybe it's a relationship and you're wondering, should I pursue this? Is, is this wise for me to go after this relationship, for me to call this person, for me to go to this person's house? Is this... Is this, is this a wise thing for me to do? Lord, lead me. This is what it means when we say, Jesus is Lord. You may even have a bumper sticker that says, Jesus is Lord. And what that means is, you're supreme ruler. <laughs> not just of the universe, not just of the kingdom, not just of the church, but you are the supreme ruler of my life. You are the Lord. That's what this means. I'm going to put up a, one of the most famous paintings ever, Da Vinci's Last Supper. When this comes up on the screen, what are, you don't have to say it out loud, just in your, in, in your own head. What do you notice? What do you look at? What are your eyes looking at right now as you look at that picture? Apparently, when Leonardo da Vinci had almost finished this painting, he showed it to a trusted friend for some feedback. And the trusted friend looked at it and he said, the most striking part of this image is the cup of the covenant, is the cup from which Jesus drank the wine representing his blood. And da Vinci went back to his, he went back to his studio and he pulled out some brushes and some paint, and he brushed out the cup because he said, nothing shall attract more attention 
than the face of my master. And he brushed out the cup, apparently. And I wonder sometimes if, if there are cups, items, things, accomplishments in our lives that are shiny and, and, and we just need to take a brush and, 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 and wipe them out. Just brush them out of the picture and let the face of the master be the thing that we see the most. Some, maybe even, this might be just kind of odd, but maybe we need to take a brush and kind of wipe out some of ourselves, which could take the form of humility, to just kind of brush out some of ourselves in this situation to say, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Brush out some of ourselves because we've taken that role as master, as the one in charge, the one who takes all the focus instead of that to say, you know, I want to brush that out because I want Jesus so, so, that, so that he would, would be supreme ruler of everything in our lives. You and I are not going to build the lives that we want to live if we remain on the throne. We're just not. It's just not going to happen. The way that we do this, the way we build the lives that we want to live is we go after what does it mean for Jesus to be in charge? For me to step aside, for me to brush out the stuff that's getting in the way, for Jesus to be in charge. That Jesus is not just our Savior, but Jesus is the founder, CEO of our lives. Jesus is actually in charge. The band's going to lead us in one final song here. As they do that, uh, I ask if you would stand. I want to pray with you, and then we'll sing one more song together. Would you bow your heads with me? There's a lot of temptation for other things to be in charge. Primarily, I think for many of us in this room, option number two rises to the surface many, many times. And I think often, I know for me personally, I, I, I think maybe I can be more effective if I just step into that role. <laughs> and God, would you protect me from that? Would you protect us from that? Would you allow us to live in humility to say, you are Lord. You are the supreme ruler. God, would you come and rule our lives today? Would you rule our lives this week? Instead of us wrestling with you for taking charge of our lives, would we just surrender to you and say, Lord, lead me. Lord, lead me. Stir up a, a decision, a, 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 something going on in our lives right now where you want us to simply say, Lord, lead me. I trust you as the founder, CEO of my life. We pray this in the name of Jesus.